The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. And in this episode, I'm going to be speaking to Paul Ashcroft and Garrick Jones, authors of a new book, Alive, Digital Humans and Their Organisations. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for joining me on The Near Futurist. So first, perhaps if you could tell me a bit about yourselves and why you were the right people to write this book. Well, you first, Paul. <laughs> okay, so I'm uh, with Garrick, co-founder of Ludic. It's a business consultancy. We've been around since 2004. We're working with organisations all around the world helping them to design strategy, engage their people, and build capability. Anything to add there? Quite a lot. I mean, I'm also a fellow at the London School of Economics, and we've been doing this research for years and years and years. And Paul really encouraged me to say, how can we take all this great research uh, that's for the academic world and you know, published in journals and so on, how do we take that and make that accessible to mm. everybody and take the stories which are fascinating and make them interesting for everybody. And so that was the start of where the book came from. And the other thing we wanted to do was tell those stories but use metaphors from history because change has always been with us. Yes. It's nothing to be afraid of. Mankind, you know, humankind has always had an amazing ability to weather these shifts in the epochs and move on. And we thought there was, there was a lot to be learned from looking in, into the past about what's going on right now and where it's taking us into the future. And would you argue that uh, perhaps the pace of change has uh, continued, or is it just communications making us more aware of the pace of change? No doubt that communication is making us more aware, certainly more transparent, and also you know, having to deal with fake news as well. So new skills are required to make sense of all the information we have access to. No doubt that the pace of change has also gone up, but change is change, and we as human beings still have to deal with it. I mean, hasn't there always been, to an extent, this fake news thing? I'm thinking about things like the Howard Hughes interview that was published yeah. famously in the mid-1960s. This is one for the teenagers, of course, and uh, was later proven to be a complete fake. Uh, yeah. fake. It's, the difference is now, if, if something's published and it's genuinely fake rather than just something a world leader doesn't like, it can spread around the world and gain credibility in seconds. That's right. I think the thing about fake news, yes, it's always been with us, but you talked about transparency. There is so much feedback and so much communication going on these days that stuff that is fake, I think, in time will be shown to be fake. And we think that it's very difficult for fake news to have a long life and a huge impact over time given the amount of feedback there is around these days. Okay. I'd like to get this back to the organisation and the uh, human side, much as I could talk about the media, as it's my industry forever. It's probably very few of listeners' industries. So we hear an awful lot about uh, the implications of digitalization. is the uh, key phrase I keep uh, hearing from time to time. Is that something that interests you, or is that just a process that's been happening, whether people know it or not? For sure it interests us. It's at the heart of what we are doing We've been looking recently as to is digitalization and, for example, consulting 4.0, is it more than just digital platforms? And we think the answer is absolutely yes. We talk about as we become more digital, we need to become actually more human. And a lot of our work is about how you make the workplace and the work that people do more centered around people's lives by using digital tools to make their lives better, not just to automate them away from it. I was talking today about it's a little bit like the difference between 
ships and sailing with wind power and ships and sailing with steam power. And that sh shift from sail to steam had a huge impact. You still could use water to get you where you want to, but you need fundamentally different skills to be able to read and use and get to where you want to go. It's a little bit like that. We, we still have organizations, but we've got organizations that are operating in a completely different way and with completely different engine, if you like. And what we're trying to get under the skin of is what are the principles, rules, tools, and mechanisms that allow us to be successful in this new world. Okay, now one of the things that's perhaps easy to see is the need for change. And if you're a small organization, it's relatively straightforward to do. You can decide you're all going to go onto Google Docs, and if there's 10 of you, uh, you can probably achieve it with a few grumbles from some of the people, more or less overnight. That's I'll, I'll get letters about that if I'm lucky. Please send letters <laughs> or emails. Sorry, I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll get, send it I'll have, Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll have um, communications about that possibly. But when you're talking, I imagine you two as... Uh, management consultants will be talking to rather larger, more complex organisations, saying we need to turn this ship around, to use your shipping metaphor again. It's easy to say. It's very, very difficult to implement. What are the steps that people need to take in your experience? So we talk about, in the book, we talk about 12 ideas for how you turn that ship around and how you uh, navigate successfully into the future. And, and we talk about three areas of it. So one is around how you make decisions and execute. So as organizations become larger, more distributed, it becomes more and more difficult to lead in a command and control top-down way. You cannot lead an organization in that way anymore. And so we need, and there are available new tools and new ways of working to be able to make decisions and execute. The next is around how you engage and motivate people. So you have perhaps an ecosystem of companies and individuals you're working with. They may be working in office, they may be working completely remotely. And how you gather those folk around your flag, make the mission, make the purpose very clear and meaningful to them um, on a daily basis becomes really important. And there's a number of ways that we talk about in the book about how you engage and motivate people. And then finally, as you shift the organisation, whether it's into digital or at least to the next level, we talk about how you build capability, how you turn it on, how you create movements so that you bring your organisation to the next level and the people within it, you help them learn and upskill so they can operate in their new roles in the new way that's required. But there are cultural changes as well, aren't there? I was uh, talking to a guy only yesterday whose business has grown. He's a managing director of a software company in the UK. His business has grown to the stage where he can no longer just be the managing director people bump into in the corridor by the water cooler, etc., because there's a few hundred of them. And he's not going to sort of systematize, if you like, or if that's a word, systemize, however you care to put it, uh, build some sort of informality into the processes or formalize the informality in a way, because he doesn't want the regimented corporate environment. Is that something you come across uh, yes. a lot? I imagine it would be. How, what strategies can people adopt? Well, there are two, there are two things. That, that's a really fascinating question. The, the first part of that is that leadership is being fundamentally torn apart and changed. <laughs> because most leaders, whether they have a degree in leadership or, or management or whatever, anybody who's worked in business or organizations and is leading will have been taught that they are at the top of a pyramid in some respects, and they have many people to do their bidding. It's more than command and control. You have to engage and motivate and move people forward 
whether it's through communications, formal comms, events, you know, there's a whole range of things that comms helps people do, and leaders are taught to motivate and engage. That game is completely eroding before our eyes because every leader now <laughs> is as connected to everybody else in the organization, no matter where they are in the hierarchy. And every leader has as much access to information as everybody else. And that's changed the game. They are part of an enormous cloud, which is all intercommunicating with each other. We've moved to, you know, some people call it the ad hocracy in some respect. And you get all of this self-organization that takes place within this cloud of people. However, we are, we talk about this in the book, we, we don't think that self-organization is something that you should just allow an organization to be if you are trying to achieve certain goals, meet certain health and safety standards, trying to achieve policy outcomes, etc., etc. So the question comes back to how does, a, how does a leader, given this new reality, nudge that and motivate that and move that forward? And that's at the heart of what we think digital is, is helping us do. One of the key principles is the principle of uh, constructivism, if you like, or con essentially people buy into what they build. And the big thing that digital allows us to do is to build things together. You would have heard of design thinking. It's really just a very simple way to enable process over time. This, that allows you to come up with lots of ideas and synthesize them and prototype them and get them done. But the thing about digital, whether it's you are learning from media and video or you're actually making a video as an amateur, everybody's at it now. You're actually able to make and build things and do those things together. And by using constructivism as a leader, one huge tool to enable your organization to move where you need it to go. I think one thing I'd add to that guy is the new skills you need as a leader uh, is to be able to use some of these new channels and new, new ways of communicating and engaging with people. So as a leader now, you need to be digital savvy, social media savvy, media savvy, and be able to use these things in an impactful way in the moment and to be able to plan and brief and communicate in a far more interesting way than ever before. And two other things to add to this, I would suggest, is a leader needs, to, like never before, to be a wayfinder, to be a person who's able to tell the tribe, this is where we're going, this is where we are, and this is where we've come from. So they're leading you through the labyrinth in some respect more than ever before. Then the other part of that is we have access to data, real data, in huge amounts of real data. And whereas leadership might have been, you know, we're going up that hill and follow me no matter what. These days, part of key leadership skills is be able to take people and say, here is the data, here are the facts, here is the context. How do we use that data and those facts to actually frame what we want to do together? So it's a shift from just you know, motivation to motivation backed up by contextual information. That's fine from the leadership point of view, uh, which is of course what we were talking about. There's also the incoming wave of the workforce who've been brought up with this stuff. Uh, you know, perhaps um, the three of us are never going to be what we call digital natives, and we've grown up with it to an extent over the last, say, 20 years. But certainly, I was an adult 20 years ago. Sure. Um, we can't speak for you guys. Uh, but how do leaders actually adjust? How do they actually get to know the ways that young, the expectations that their incoming workforce, who very shortly will start to have the word senior attached to their job titles? Let's not say these are all 16-year-olds. Sure. Uh, so what are the changes that people need to make to address those? Well, 
one of the things that we talk about is about paying attention to the employee experience. So for many years now, organizations have mainly focused on the customer experience. And as there is certainly fear around jobs being automated, massive changes we talked about earlier, and uncertainty. So therefore, for organizations to attract the best talent and keep the best talent, particularly those new people coming into the workforce, as you talked about, they need to focus very heavily on what's the employee experience that they're providing. This is things like providing the right sort of tools that people want to work for. Is the experience in work the same as the experience they can get working from home on their own personal devices? Can they work flexibly? Can they have a say in their contract as to how, when, where they work? All of these sorts of things and more will make it more compelling for individuals to want to actually come to work for these organisations. No, this actually has implications even further on than that, doesn't it? Because if you're talking to somebody who uses freelancers, uh, they may be rather nervous of uh, the government hammering them for tax because they deem them as employees. And as a jobbing freelance myself, I happen to know one of the things you can say is, no, it's okay, I use my own equipment and I can see right. when and where I, I work. And then you've got, exactly, you've anticipated, you've taken the very phrase out of my mouth. Uh, it's the... Um, BYOD, bring your own device, suddenly everybody's using their own tools, that's right. everybody's demanded, well not everybody, that's yeah. ridiculous, but a substantial number of people are demanding to work as and when mm. they wish, because the digital uh, element actually allows them to. Is legislation ever going to keep up with keep up with this, do you think, or is it no. going to be the typical catch-up? It, it, it won't, I mean, and, and legislation can't, because legislation is always creating catch-up. We hope that legislation will take a more principled approach rather than a prescriptive approach. Um, the great thing about digital, and, and the great thing which plays into some of the, the, the legislative requirements, is that it allows us to have organisations that are not only about millennials, but allow us to have older people who are still able to work, but may want to be able to work from home, mm. may not be able to travel, may not be as mobile. It's amazing how you can plug and play expertise into new organizations now oh that's absolutely right and it's not just new organizations i was talking to a guy a while ago who specialized in recruiting remote workers uh, for the contact center industry mm. and what he was finding was by specializing in uh, remote workers mm. he's finding people who perhaps were lawyers yeah, uh, yeah. perhaps were accountants exactly. uh, were uh, but who made the lifestyle choice to go and live in the outer Hebrides or you know, some, you know, yes. somewhere remote but with internet access That's right. um, they could suddenly become a bit more active because maybe life was just a bit too quiet for them sure. and that's a much more experienced uh, group of people problem solving and they're all there they're yeah. all out there um, and as long as we have them in the platforms to allow us to bring them in they, they're a huge part of the economy and in fact I think it expands the economy and the workforce we talk about um, in the book we talk about how you Instead of what we've become over the past few decades where we've designed our lives around our work and a nine to five, very much more I think people are asking to be able to design their, their work around their lives. So if you are an older person and you want to work from 6am till 10am because you want to spend the afternoon with your family or working in the community or playing sports, you can do. You mm. might just be working with a client in Asia. Yeah, and you're based in Europe and the time zone means that you're working in their daytime this is one of the, the key things about global work and globalisation I know that there is a trend towards localisation in terms of uh, nation states still trying to clamour around their authority however 
the reality of the workforce today is that whether you are based in London or whether you are based in Singapore or the United States, you can work with all kinds of people across borders every day. And that's becoming more and more an everyday experience. One uh, location specialist I spoke to uh, a while back I was actually trying to coin the phrase, I don't think it really took off, globalization. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it, it sounds cheesy, but it kind of works. Well, I think um, McDonald's came up with the idea of what's it, um, think, be global but think local. And HSBC. That, that's, that's a bit more catchy. Um, I, I don't think the guy's name was Ronald now that I, uh, now that I actually think about it. But it works it. for hamburgers. It's going to work for everyone else. Certainly our consulting organisation is entirely virtual. Mm-hmm. We have people all over the world predominantly working remotely. Some are working together in studios and offices. And it works very, very well. We've had to learn how to do it, though. We set this up specifically as a lab to kind of go, if we had no offices, what would that mean? People do work at clients. People do need to get together. But (laughs) we've had situations where people go, we've been working too far apart. We really actually need a pop-up office. Mm. So then we hire all of the WeWorks and we just hire them as we need them. Oh, yeah, and there are some disciplines that splitting everybody up isn't going to work. Right. If you've got, say, a lively sales group, uh, they need to, to to buzz off each other and to right. uh, to compete with each other yes. face-to-face. You yeah. know, they're not all, a lot of the ones that I've met, are not all great at uh, working um, in isolation. The key thing is for language, for me, and I go on, as long as your group of people speak the same language, and by language I mean designers speak a design language and lawyers speak a law language and accountants an accounting language, and so the professionals all have a language. As long as there is a, what I call a modelling language or a language amongst the people which has a lot of shorthand and defines the tribe, you can be wherever you want to be. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, coming to the end, uh, if you um, uh, you mentioned uh, that you've offered uh, 12 points in this uh, in your new book, I enjoyed reading it, but perhaps if you, without giving the whole plot away, uh, otherwise why buy the book? Uh, could you give us a couple of examples of uh, the sorts of points you might people might come across if they decide to buy it? Yeah, so um, let me pick on three. Uh, one is about creating the spine, the digital spine. Uh, one of the things we recognise as much as Thesis, when lost in the labyrinth, used the red thread to navigate his way back out. People working digitally need to be able to be very clear on where they are in a process or within a program. And making that work very visible is one of the principles. Um, that's, that sits in the first set around how you make decisions and execute together. In engaging people, we're very much um, into playing the game. And how we gamify anything from from learning to um, designing a strategy to communication, there's very little you can't gamify, and very much I think we're seeing, uh, whereas design thinking has been something that's a slow train coming, actually um, game thinking is probably coming next. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly you heard it here first. No, it's, it's certainly right. Game thinking, we think, is the next big trend. And the third, I think, I would pick on is create meaningful alternatives. So... If you people will only step into a future if it's easy for them to do so, but also it's it's in in a way tangibly better than what they currently have. And by creating a meaningful alternative and painting a very visually clear picture of that future, 
you can encourage people to step into that future with you. Yeah. So there's three tasters for you guys. Excellent, because otherwise you do end up with this, uh, oh, they've changed the computer system again, I can't see why they bother mentality, which has been around certainly since I was in my youth. Well, Paul Ashcroft, Garrick Jones, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Uh, The book is called Alive Digital Humans and Their Organisations. Thank you once again, and I wish you every success with it. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. to all of you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or moderator of your technology event, do have a look and then get in touch with my agent, whose details are on the site. Now, we normally come out every other week, but the next episode of the Near Futurist podcast will go live on the 16th of December. We're varying the strict fortnightly routine so I don't come out right before Christmas, then no one would listen. My name's Guy Clapperton. See you then. Thank you.